0: 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse 26. 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse 26. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen, and he had a thousand and four hundred chariots and twelve thousand horsemen, whom he bestowed in the cities for chariots and with the king at Jerusalem. Now, the previous verses in chapter 10 have been describing the glories of Solomon's kingdom. But we are now presented with the seeds of Solomon's downfall. So, this verse 26 starts a new section of the book of 1 Kings, dealing as it does with the theme of Solomon's tragic departure from faithfulness to the Lord. We read here of his gathering together chariots and horsemen. This was foolishness in the sight of God. Deuteronomy 17, verse 16, the Lord declares that the King of Israel shall not multiply Horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end that he should multiply horses. So Solomon is engaging in a direct flouting of God's holy law. This is quite remarkable for someone who had been so mightily used by the Lord, up to now. Verse 27, And the king made silver to be in Jerusalem as stones, and cedars made he to be as the sycamore trees that are in the vale for abundance. Solomon has accumulated great wealth for his kingdom. Because of his righteous, God-honouring government, The Lord has blessed the nation economically, a concept that our politicians today just do not understand. And so one way in which the blessing of God upon the nation is seen is in the amazing number of cedar trees growing throughout the land. Cedar is a strong enduring wood. It's one of the finest commodities available for building work. And the abundance of cedar trees in Israel is an apt symbol of the great economic prosperity which Israel was enjoying under Solomon. If we look at our own nation today, In all its rebellion against God we of course see the Lord withdrawing the hand of his blessing. We have appalling levels of national debt which would take generations to pay off. Uh, Since the 1960s Britain's manufacturing industry has virtually disappeared. Uh, We still have a major inflation problem all these are indicative of the lord withdrawing the hand of his blessing from a rebellious nation and the, whatever the politicians do whether they raise interest rates or lower interest rates the point is that god is withdrawing his blessing Now, we are told in verse 28, and Solomon had horses brought out of Egypt and linen yarn. The king's merchants received the linen yarn at a price. Now, here we are told that Solomon's merchants gladly paid a high price for the flax or linen yarn for which Egypt was renowned. But in his coveting of Egypt's horses, it seems that Solomon is now beginning to ignore the detail of the word of God. For example, Psalm 20, verse 7 reads, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. The word of God there is warning of the danger of being allured by the practices of other nations, particularly in respect to making military preparations. If we look at our world today, particularly the Western world, we see the same things happening, the same pressures upon society and the same... Responses of governments throughout the western world we see how the powers that be have become totally beholden to the alien philosophy of wokeness, cultural Marxism political correctness whatever we wish to call it and so we see the great danger of an individual nation doing things because the other nations are doing it. And that's exactly how Solomon is behaving here. He's seeing how the nations round about conduct themselves, not realizing that he belongs to a unique nation which does not need to emulate the surrounding nations. Solomon is beginning to allow worldly wisdom to override the word of God. Verse 29. And a chariot came up and went out of Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. And so for all the kings of the Hittites and for the kings of Syria did they bring them out By their means. So Solomon's merchants are engaging in the doubtlessly lucrative trade of selling on some of the horses and chariots which they had acquired in Egypt, selling them on to the Hittites and to the Syrians. Now, again, this speaks to us of great commercial prosperity. There is of course absolutely nothing wrong with uh, prosperity uh, which ensues from legitimate trade. Solomon however is allowing his material blessings and desire for commercial success to cloud his spiritual judgment. His acquisition of horses, as we have seen, was specifically prohibited under God's law for the kings of Israel. Now, an obvious modern parallel to Solomon's compromise here is the way in which our own nation has abandoned the ongoing force of the fourth commandment doing so on the grounds of commercial expedience along with changing attitudes in society nevertheless our attitude to the fourth commandment now represents a plain rejection of the authority of God's word what is happening to Solomon here is exactly the phenomenon of which we read in the parable of the sower which teaches us that the things of this world are very powerful to choke the word and quench the spiritual alertness of even genuine believers. Solomon allows the allurement, glory and imagined security which horses and chariots will bring him to choke in him the seed which is the word of God. He allows worldly thinking in the influence of what others around are doing to make him view less seriously than he once did what God has spoken. Now, as in the Lord's parable. There has been in Solomon good levels of growth, with firmly established roots. But Solomon foolishly allows the thorns and briars of this world to stifle the growth. He realises that he has the material means to build up a great army, such as the other nations had. But he seems to forget that it is God and God alone who is the true cause of any nation's security. This profoundly devout man of God allows fashionable man-made philosophies to influence him. And he does this in later life when he should have been even more firmly established in the paths of holiness. Solomon does this as a mature believer. What a warning this is to us as Christians today, that it is quite possible to be a believer of many years standing, yet still to be enticed, by this world, and to fall into serious sin and serious doctrinal error. And so very pertinent here is the Apostle Paul's warning in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Solomon's departure from God's ways was to be a profound departure. As we see, as we enter into chapter 11 here, chapter 11, verse 1. But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians and Hittites. Of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel. Ye shall not go in unto them. Neither shall they come in unto you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. So Solomon takes to himself many foreign wives. These wives worshipped false gods. It would have been bad enough for him to multiply his wives from amongst the Israelite women. For that, of course, is adultery. But to marry women practising false religion compounded his sin. Again, this is in direct contradiction of what God has already revealed in his word. Deuteronomy 17, verse 17. The king shall not multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away, neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. So again, we see Solomon Ignoring explicitly what God's word states. The word of God warns that foreign marriages to idol worshippers, uh, these may have been entered into for diplomatic reasons, but they will have a detrimental effect upon the king's and the nation's spiritual well being. Yet Solomon allows himself to fall into such a state of spiritual stupor that the warnings of God's word are now lost upon him. This happened to a mature believer. What care we must therefore take not to fall into such a trap as Solomon fell into Verse 3, and he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. Now, not only here, but elsewhere in the Old Testament, we find Israel's patriarchs and kings engaging in the practice of polygamy. Scripture, of course, never condones how they behaved, uh, but rather it tells us what awful trouble it always led to. The account of the creation of man in the book of Genesis makes it plain that monogamy was always God's will and purpose. But why does Solomon take many wives? It is to conform to the practice of the nations round about him. That's why he does it. You see, considering the kings of the other nations, it was always an aspect of their royal dignity to have many wives. And we can only surmise that Solomon's own lust was also a factor in his doing this. And so how sad that this once so wise and godly man is now being allured by the passing things of this world. This is so serious because Solomon's spiritual walk is being devastated. He's in real danger by doing this. Verse 4, for it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. Now Solomon was a highly cultured and educated man. He was no fool. He could have held his own with a Beethoven or an Einstein. So why does he fall like this? It may be that his foreign wives may have held for him a mystique and fascination on a cultural and aesthetic level. But that is no defence for his actions. He has fallen into grievous sin. We must realise that even the loftier things which this world has to offer, its art and its literature and its cultural excellence, can all be allowed to take on an excessive significance and become idols when they draw men away from the pure love of God. You look at modern Britain, sport is an idol, an absolute idol. We must see here that Solomon is being enticed by a love of this world, he is being taken in by the world's philosophies, the world's mindset. Something which is explicitly forbidden in Scripture. We think of Paul, Colossians 2, verse 8, where Paul warns that no man must spoil you, ravage you through vain philosophies according to men and not according to God. So Solomon was taken in by the prevailing manner of thinking by the majority around him. And what a danger that is to professing Christians today. How we must never succumb to the media-led narratives with all their virtue signalling. We must realise the danger of having our Christian walk seriously impeded by getting too close to this world on a philosophical level and by being influenced by the media propaganda which is churned out every single day. It is a sad fact that professing Christians often do endeavour to keep a foot in both camps. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. But this can only lead to spiritual disaster. The result can only be hearts not perfect with the Lord our God, as verse 4 here puts it. Now, Some Christians would even justify a measure of familiarity with the world on the grounds that this will facilitate the world's reception of the gospel. This is fallacious arguing. Drawing men to Christ is not a matter of clever marketing techniques. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. Becoming a Christian in and of its very essence requires a separation from this world and its ways of thinking. As James tells us, whosoever will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. That's how crucial an issue it is, James 4 verse 4. We are called to serve Christ single-mindedly. That means separation from the outlook of this world, Romans 12:2: "Be not conformed to this world." We dare not become lukewarm about separation. Now I'm not talking about separation on the foolish level of meaningless external things. But a a philosophical separation, an intellectual separation, a spiritual separation. The Lord Jesus Christ told the worldly, lukewarm Laodicean church that he would spew it out of his mouth. It was a worldly church. We must avoid the temptation to be embarrassed about being zealous and enthusiastic for the things of God. Because the world thinks that to be religious extremism. In Revelation 2 verse 4, our Lord has to warn the Ephesian church. Thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. And repent. And do the first works. Or else I come to thee and will move thy candlestick out of its place. So the Lord is threatening to remove his presence from a church. Why? Because they are conforming to the world. They have lost their initial zeal. Solomon here is a classic example of the true believer who does lose his first love, his initial zeal and ardour. Solomon is very near to making a shipwreck of his faith. Considering how faithful he once was, His fall is astonishing and completely unanticipated. It is a warning to us. That is why it is recorded for us. Verse 5. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord as did David. His father. Now, Solomon does not descend to the level of renouncing his faith, but he does not follow the Lord wholeheartedly. He allows his wives to make him far too open to spiritual falsehood. Many of them would be well educated. Refined women. They would perhaps use carefully crafted arguments to make him lower his guard. They would presumably have said to Solomon something like this All faiths have the same ultimate goal, all faiths have a common core of values. It is good, Solomon, to work for multicultural harmony. So do not be narrow-minded or prejudiced, but be inclusive. And Solomon was taken in. The depth of his fall is seen in verses 7 and 8. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh, The abomination of Moab in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise, did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. So here we see the pressures to conform to a multi faith view of the world. And we have exactly the same pressures upon us today. If you declare today that Jesus Christ is the only way and that the other religions are false, you are accused of stirring up community hatred. Solomon here was in fact abandoning the first of the Ten Commandments. He built special altars to False, demonic gods, which are no real gods at all. They are evil spirits behind them. He builds a high place for Chemosh. He builds a high place for Molech. The worship of Chemosh and Molech included child sacrifice. And so Israelites were... Offering up their infants to these demonic beings. But this turning to other gods is what everyone today calls embracing diversity. Solomon was making an appalling compromise despite his exalted privilege of twice having had God himself appear to him. How can one who has had such privileges and one who was once so wise in the things of God stoop to such depravity and falsehood? Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. The Lord was angry with Solomon, verse 9, because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he kept not that which the Lord commanded. And so Solomon was defying a direct word of God to him. The Lord had personally appeared to him. What wonderful experiences he might once have had as a faithful believer. But Solomon is now falling away. From the one true faith. We see back in chapter 9 of 1 Kings. How Solomon had been specifically warned against doing exactly what he was now doing. 1 Kings 9 verse 2. The Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared unto him at Gibeon. In chapter 9 verse 6. God says, if ye shall turn away from following me and shall go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them. So we're not just talking about Solomon's personal spiritual walk here. We're talking about national consequences. And we have here the biblical principle that the constitution of a nation should honour the one true God, according to the scriptures. There are lots of imperfections about the Anglican establishment. We know that. But the principle that a nation should have Obedience to the one true God and the heart of its whole national makeup—that that is vital. Now, Solomon could not have received a plainer warning from the Lord, but he ignored it. And we learn here, therefore, that we can never rest upon the laurels of our former devotion to Christ. The real issue is this. Am I keeping the commandments of God and serving the Lord with a perfect heart today? Whatever we might have done in the past, am I being faithful today? Am I more fervent in my service for the Lord than I was, say, a year ago? We must never forget that past faithfulness can never make up for present disobedience. Writing to Timothy, Paul says in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 18, War a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made Shipwreck. So the word of God is telling us there that it is possible to make a shipwreck of one's Christian faith. To make one's faith to be effectively useless. Now by the power of the Holy Spirit upon him. Solomon was once the wisest man in all the earth. Yet he now falls into the worship of false gods which are demonic in origin. Now if a man as greatly blessed and used of God as Solomon once was could fall into such serious sin. Is that not a warning to us? If we fail... To be on our guard. Now God for his part will always keep the true believer. He will never let us go. However, believers can by their own carelessness quench the work of the Holy Spirit. And remove themselves from the sphere of God's blessing. They can get into real spiritual danger. That is why there are so many warnings in both Old and New Testaments. Therefore we must watch and be sober. Hebrews 3 verse 6. Hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Hebrews 3 12. Take heed, brethren, lest haply there shall be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in falling away from the living God. This is addressed to believers. The word of God issues the warning because the danger is there. Solomon fell away, not totally thankfully but it was nearly a total fall let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall verse 11 here wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon for as much as this is done of thee and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded thee I will surely rend the kingdom from thee And will give it to thy servant. Verse 12. Notwithstanding in thy days, in thy lifetime, I will not do it for David thy father's sake. But I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. So we learn here that what Solomon as king was doing in his personal spiritual decline was also being mirrored in the spiritual decline of the nation as a whole because he set such an appalling example. He encouraged false worship throughout the nation. The people themselves were beginning to worship the idols. Now, God is not mocked. He judges in time as well as at the end of time. Nations are judged in time. So Solomon suffered the rebuke of the Lord on a personal level, but the nation suffered as well by being tragically divided and weakened. And so it is an appalling curse upon a nation when leaders defy the word of God. The consequence with regard to Solomon of his turning to false gods was that most of the kingdom would be taken away from Solomon's family. He would pass on only a fraction to his son Rehoboam. The Lord, however, would restrain the fullness of his anger. But this is national disaster. Israel is being broken up. And look look at the United Kingdom. As it moves further and further away from the Lord the United Kingdom is being broken up. It's becoming divided. It will probably turn into different sections because the Lord is removing his blessing. Yet, even in the midst of this judgment, God demonstrates mercy. Verse 13, howbeit I, I will not rend away all the kingdom, but will give one tribe to thy son for David my servant's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. The Lord remembers the faithfulness of Solomon's father, David. And so Solomon. Would not lose the whole kingdom. Why has Britain not already come under a more severe judgment than it already has? It could well be because the Lord is remembering the faithfulness of those who have gone before, faithful to Christ. So Solomon will not lose the whole kingdom. We are told here that his family will retain one tribe out of the 12, uh, that tribe being Judah. And it's referred to, of course, as one tribe because Benjamin uh, is regarded as being part of Judah. And so this is a national tragedy. And the cause is that the head of state For all his previous godliness and wisdom has abandoned the faith. Now these things are written for our instruction. We are being taught here about the danger of marring and even wrecking our faith through spiritual carelessness. And by letting the world's influence compromise us in our walk with Christ. Solomon is a tragic case study of the true believer who leaves his first love. He becomes lukewarm. He becomes a prey to false teaching. Oh, we need to get more people in. So what can we do to attract the world? The compromise starts. How are we going to get the young people in? The compromise starts. He went not fully after the Lord his God. Many professing Christians today are doing just this, allowing the fashions of a God-rejecting world to make them compromise on the truth of God's word. Now, Solomon had reached amazing levels of maturity as a believer, and yet he still fell. This is a warning to us. We must always be asking ourselves, am I fully keeping God's commandments by grace? Am I serving Christ with all of my heart? Past faithfulness cannot make up for present disobedience. Solomon's experience teaches us that believers can, by carelessness, quench the Holy Spirit's work within them. And by carelessness, believers can actually remove themselves from the sphere of God's blessing. Solomon fell terribly. He made a shipwreck of his faith. But by God's grace, he came to his senses and was gloriously restored. To be again greatly used of God in his later years. The book of Ecclesiastes was written after Solomon fell into all this idolatry. So, look how merciful the Lord is in restoring this man of God. Let us take heed of the danger of wrecking one's faith through spiritual carelessness and conformity to the world. We must be asking ourselves the question. Am I remaining wholeheartedly faithful right now upon this very day? Whatever we might have done in the past, am I being faithful today? And May the Lord give each of us the grace to persevere right to the very end. Amen. Amen. Amen.